wake up and enjoy 30 minutes of freshly brewed baseball goodness. This is MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. Now here's your host, Greg Mraz. Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to MLB Morning Coffee, a daily Major League Baseball podcast. My name is Greg Mraz, your host. It is Tuesday, February 18th, 2020. This is episode two of MLB Morning Coffee. want to thank everybody that listened to the first episode. Appreciate the positive feedback. If you haven't left a rating yet, please do so. If you haven't left a review yet, also please do so. I want to make sure that I make this show as good as it can be. The first show, as we explained in that first show, and if you haven't gone back and listened to it yet, please do so. That was more of an explanation of what the show was going to be and more of an opinion piece. Today, we're going to have part opinion and part headline. We'll start off with our headlines in a segment I like to call The Daily Grounds. Our first news of the day comes to you from Atlanta, where the Braves have announced contract extensions for manager Brian Snitker and general manager Alex Anthopoulos. Snitker and each of his coaches were extended through the 2021 season, ending their lame duck status for 2020, where they did not have extensions past this year. Anthopoulos was extended through the 2024 season. The Braves have won back-to-back division titles and are one of the favorites to win the National League this season. The Braves struggled during their rebuild from 2015 to 2017. Over that time period, they had Major League Baseball's third worst winning percentage. Snitker was named the manager in the middle of that 2017 season. He was the 2018 NL Manager of the Year. The Braves won the division in 2018 and 2019. They have a host of young star talent, which is including but not limited to Ozzie Albies, Ronald Acuna, veterans like Freddie Freeman, and a host of others. The Braves are one of those teams that you're going to have to keep an eye on all season long because they've stayed out of the headlines for the most part, but that's a good thing because they've had very little turnover with the exception of Josh Donaldson moving from Atlanta to Minnesota. But the point remains is that the Braves are going to be competitive this year. They have a chance to win their third straight division title. On paper, they look better than the Nationals at this point from the offensive standpoint, especially with the Nationals having lost Anthony Rendon to the Los Angeles Angels. As for their comparison against the Phillies, that's very much a wait and see. We'll have to see how Bryce Harper bounces back and how a host of characters there might finally take that leap that has been so expected of them since they started opening up the pocketbooks for the likes of Harper, Jake Arrieta, and now most recently, Andrew McCutcheon. In any event, The Braves had to do this. They're keeping one of the best managers in the game and one of the best GMs in the game in Atlanta for the foreseeable future. In news involving the Astros that is not a part of the cheating scandal, right-handed pitcher Francis Martes was suspended for 162 games from Major League Baseball for testing positive for performance-enhancing substance for the second time. Martes is on the 40-man roster for the Astros but has not pitched in the big league since 2017. He made four starts in AAA in 2018, hurt his elbow, and had Tommy John surgery later that summer. He made three minor league starts in 2019. Martes was already suspended 80 games for his first violation, which came in March of 2019, hence why he only made three starts in the minors that season. 
Martis is a guy that I actually got to see pitch in the Midwest League back when I was working there. And when you saw him at first, you thought this is a guy that is going to be a star for years to come. And he rose the ranks quickly through the system and got to the big leagues by 2017. However, his star has fallen since then. And you cannot help but wonder what the future of baseball lies for Francis Martis, simply considering the fact that he's banned for a whole year and now he's part of an organization that does not need another distraction as it's trying to move forward. This next story I want to highlight a little bit more in a future episode, but because the story broke yesterday, I want to make sure that we get to it today here on the grounds. The San Francisco Giants announced yesterday that Aubrey Huff will not be invited to the 10th anniversary reunion of the 2010 World Series championship team. The Giants said in a statement, Earlier this month, we reached out to Aubrey Huff to let him know that he will not be included in the upcoming 2010 World Series championship reunion. Aubrey has made multiple comments on social media that are unacceptable and run counter to the values of the organization. While we appreciate the many contributions that Aubrey made to the 2010 championship season, we stand by our decision. Huff has made some controversial comments, both political and misogynistic. You can debate the First Amendment all you want, but the fact stands is that you cannot publicly put out misogynistic statements and expect to be accepted. Aubrey Huff has gone out of his way to spark controversy on social media since he's retired. His comments have been disgusting. They have been disrespectful to women. And while the First Amendment gives him the right to say what he wants, it is acceptable given his comments that the Giants decided that they are not going to have him come back. He said in a statement, responding, quite frankly, shocked, disappointed. If it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be having a reunion. Huff told the Athletics' Andrew Baggerly about the Giants' decision. But if they want to stick with their politically correct, progressive bull bleep, that's fine. In my opinion, the reason the Giants made this call was because of the response that he had on Twitter to their hiring of Alyssa Nacken as the first female coach in Major League Baseball history. Huff tweeted out, couldn't imagine taking baseball instruction from an ex-female softball player with a frowny emoji, have fun with that, and he tags Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, and Buster Posey, amongst a series of other tweets in response to the hire. Misogyny has no place in the game of baseball, and for somebody like Aubrey Huff, who has a known history of sparking controversy with less than popular opinions, to do this, it is totally in the Giants' right given that Nacken is on staff and will be there during that reunion for Huff to not be invited. Maybe Huff will apologize, maybe he won't. But in any event, Huff has dug himself a hole that at least in the minds of the San Francisco Giants, he will not dig himself back out of. This news out of St. Louis, starter Miles Mikolas will miss the start of the 2020 season because of a flexor tendon issue, manager Mike Schilt told reporters on Tuesday. Mikolas is going to receive a PRP injection, which is one that he received after the Cardinals were eliminated from the playoffs last season. Mikolas struggled in 2019, going 9-14 with a 4.16 ERA in 32 starts, but was effective in the postseason, posting a 1-5 ERA in three appearances. He had a banner year with the Cardinals in 2018, going 18-4 with a 2.83 ERA. Following a stint in Japan, it earned him his first trip to the All-Star game. He was expected to be one of sure four locks in the starting rotation this upcoming season, joining Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, and veteran Adam Wainwright. Others expected to compete for his rotation spot until he's back. 
Carlos Martinez, Alex Reyes, and Daniel Ponce de Leon. The Cardinals have a lot of organizational depth, and Mikolas' injury is hopefully short-lived. But if this is his second PRP injection, there has to be concern about his viability long-term, as you can only get so many PRPs before the eventual Tommy John surgery comes to the forefront. In any event, the Cardinals have organizational depth, and they will be fine until Mikolas comes back. But the NL Central is going to be one of the most competitive divisions in baseball this year, with the Cubs still being as talented as they are, the Reds making all of the additions that they did, and the Brewers, who have made the playoffs in each of the last two years, still remaining competitive with a solid young core. As players have started to report to camp, everybody is sounding off on the Astros' sign-stealing scandal. Guys like Mike Trout, Justin Turner, Nick Markakis, Hugh Darvish have all weighed in in regards to what has gone on with the Astros and what they feel in regards to what they did and what their punishment should be. I want to give you a couple of quotes because you're hearing stuff from guys that you probably wouldn't normally hear this type of stuff from. Let's start with what Mike Trout said. Quote, it's sad for baseball. It's tough. They cheated. I don't agree with the punishments. The player's not getting anything. I lost some respect for some guys. End quote. Trout says this because he understands the repercussions of what the Astros did and knows that the players had as much to do with it as the coaches and the front office did. In any event, the Astros are going to be under some tough ire this season, and that brings up this quote from Braves outfielder Nick Markakis. Quote, it's anger. I feel like every single guy over there needs a beating. It's wrong. They're messing with people's careers. That was his response on his reaction to the Astros scandal and the ensuing response. Hugh Darvish weighs in about the Astros title. In the Olympics, if players cheat, they can't have a gold medal, but they still have a World Series title. That quote from Darvish brings up a big debate on whether or not the Astros should be stripped of their title. In my opinion, you absolutely can strip them of their title, but you can't just give it to the Dodgers. You don't know what was going to happen. And there are so many Pandora's boxes that you could open with any decision in regards to the Astros' titles, awards, etc., etc. But I do want to get to one more quote before I get to the biggest quote, and this is Trevor Bauer, the outspoken Reds pitcher. Quote, I'm not going to let them forget the fact that they are hypocrites. They are cheaters. They've stolen from a lot of other people and the game itself. Now, Bauer has been one of the most outspoken guys during the entirety of this timeline of the controversy. You have to take a lot of what Bauer says with a grain of salt because he's a little bit different than most guys. But for what Bauer says, if the Astros end up playing the Reds at any point, which I don't believe that they play each other in the regular season this year. I would have to go back and check the schedule, but expect a couple bean balls from Bauer. Bauer has faced them plenty enough during his time with the Cleveland Indians and knows that he was definitely victimized by the scandal that ensued. The final quote I want to get to is Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner, who's more so responding to Commissioner Rob Manfred in the interview that he gave on Sunday as opposed to the cheating scandal itself. Turner is quoted as saying, I don't know if the commissioner has ever won anything in his life. This is in reference to Manfred calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal. 
the quote continues. Maybe he hasn't. But the reason every guy is in this room, the reason every guy is working on all offseason and showing up to camp early and putting in all the time and effort is specifically for that trophy, which, by the way, is called the Commissioner's Trophy. So for him to devalue it the way he did yesterday, and this is in reference to what he did on Sunday, just tells me how out of touch he is with the players in this game. At this point, the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says Commissioner on it. Now, anyone who goes forward and cheats to win a World Series, they can live with themselves knowing that, oh, it's okay, we'll cheat in the World Series and bring the title back to L.A. Screw Dave Roberts and screw Andrew Friedman. It's just those guys losing their jobs. I still get to be called a champion for the rest of my life. So the precedent was set by him yesterday in this case. I think it all comes down to everyone keeps saying the facts, the facts. You don't know the facts. These are the facts. I don't think anyone knows the facts. I think everyone just wants to hear all the facts. And I think that's the commissioner didn't do a good job of revealing all the facts to us. I still think there's some stuff we don't know. Turner is just one of many to sound off on the sign-stealing scandal, but one of the first to sound off on Commissioner Rob Manfred and his punishments. We'll get into that more in a later episode, but I do want to say this in regards to Turner. His response toward Manfred is one of many that you should expect to see come, because as we discussed on yesterday's episode, the punishment that Manfred handed down was not in the same galaxy as enough as what Manchester City of the Premier League was punished for their crimes financially in the UEFA. My whole point about bringing that up is that If a league like the Premier League can put a punishment out like they did, then Major League Baseball should have every bit of gumption to do the exact same thing in regards to the Houston Astros. And for Turner to call out Rob Manfred like he did and effectively say, you haven't punished the players at all for cheating the game, I think that that's right. I think you're going to see more in that direction and... I think when the punishments for the Boston Red Sox do come out, you may end up seeing them be harsher, and you could potentially, if backlash is enough against Manfred, see more harsh penalties applied to Astros players, past and present. Our final news of the Daily Ground segment comes out of Oakland this morning, where the A's just announced that they are going to be the first team in Major League Baseball that will have all of their radio broadcasts streamed exclusively online. The Oakland A's abandoned their radio contract with local station KTRB after they did not renew a one-year agreement with the San Francisco-based station. The Oakland A's have moved radio stations countless times over the last 20 years, having most recently been with Bay Area Sports Station 95.7 The Game. The A's are going to be the first team through their A's cast service to not be on radio and have all of their broadcasts run exclusively online. While I do believe that the future of sports broadcasting and sports casting in general is through streaming, heck, that's how you found this podcast, I still truly believe in the power of radio. There are a lot of teams in minor league baseball that aren't on radio, and that's simply because of the fact that their market may not be big enough or the fact that there are too many teams in the market for them to occupy a radio station. And sometimes, for minor league teams, the financials just aren't there for them to actually be able to pay for a radio contract. I work for four teams in professional baseball. Two of them 
didn't have contracts. One of them was an independent league team here in the Bay Area, and there's no chance that they could find a radio station. The other one was for a team in Helena, Montana, that was relocating after the season, and it did nobody any good to have them on the radio simply because of the fact that the team was leaving and there was no use of putting those financial resources into a radio contract for a team that wasn't going to be around the next year. In any event, for my generation, I'm 27 years old, this really has no effect on me. I can put TuneIn on in my car or around my earbuds and have it streaming through the A's. Now, for the older generation, this has a little bit more of a problematic theme. There are a lot of people the older generation that don't do streaming. My 91-year-old grandmother barely uses the internet. She doesn't have a smartphone. If she was an A's fan, she's not, she really wouldn't be able to listen to the games if she was out and about. Now, you also have the notion that if you listen to games while at the game, you're not going to be able to do that now because a streaming service has a delay built in because of the internet signal. So you cannot listen to live play-by-play as you're actually watching the game. The point in this being is that I think this is a direction that a lot of teams are going to start to go to save money because it doesn't cost them anything to put their games on a web-only stream, and the access for most people is still the same. But for a lot of the older generation, it is going to take a big adjustment in order to get used to the fact that games won't be on the radio. The A's had planned to do this last year, but there was so much response into the fact that there weren't going to be any games on the radio that the A's were able to strike radio deals with local station KTRB in the Bay Area and station 1140 AM, I can't remember the call letters off the top of my head, 1140 in Sacramento, so that the A's actually did have coverage reach, and for the second straight year, the A's made it to the wild card game. But... The fact of the matter is is that the A's want to go in this direction because they simply don't feel like radio is worth the cost of their investment. Now, they have two of the best broadcasters in baseball in Ken Korak and Vince Catronio. If you have a chance to listen to them, please do so. In my opinion, it's one of the best radio broadcasts in Major League Baseball. But with them online only now, it's only a matter of time before other teams start taking the same approach in regards to how you consume your content. But for the older generation, moves like this may turn them off to baseball for the rest of their lives because if they're so used to listening to baseball on the radio, what are they going to do now? So that is the Daily Grounds. Those are your headlines of the day. We know that we left a few out, but that is just going to be the nature of the beast. We want to keep your attention for 30 minutes every single show. So I teased at the end of our first episode what we were going to be talking about today, and that was trading your superstars. We've already seen it happen once this offseason, and there's a potential that it happens two more times. So the guy that we talked about yesterday was Mookie Betts, who by all accounts, is one of the best star players that they've ever developed. I do want to give a shout-out to my friend, USF Social Media Coordinator and Sports Information Director Mark Rivera, who listened in yesterday and pointed out, don't say that he's the best player that they've ever developed because you're forgetting about Ted Williams and players from that era. Yes, completely understand that. What I meant to say was the most recent era. But you're now in a situation where you're seeing teams trade superstars that they develop. So the three guys that we want to talk about today are Mookie Betts, who's already been traded, Chris Bryant, 
and Francisco Lindor. The latter two have been subjects of abject trade talks throughout this offseason. So let's start with Betts, the 2018 AL MVP. Boston Red Sox owner John Henry actually came out yesterday and talked to the media about the reasoning behind trading their homegrown star. Quote, the baseball organizations that we compete against have become much more strategic and thoughtful about how and when they spend their resources in their quest for titles, Henry said in prepared remarks. We cannot shy away from tough decisions required to aggressively compete for the World Series. That's what led to this trade. What? Are you kidding me? You are in the top three of payroll every single year. How are you going to say that this trade is a strategic move? You're trading away one of the best players in all of baseball. You have the money to pay him. It's just that you do not want to pay him. For some reason, whether it be the luxury tax or whether it be a certain threshold in payroll, John Henry prints money. The Red Sox are not even his most valuable venture. His most valuable venture is, and again, another soccer reference, one I didn't think we'd get into, Liverpool. He prints money. So for him to not give Mookie Betts the extension that he rightly deserves is abject BS. Why? Because the Red Sox doled out money that they probably shouldn't have to guys like J.D. Martinez. Now, J.D. Martinez helped them win a World Series, but it's kind of the old saying, you rob Peter to pay Paul, which you pay him for the first two years of his contract, and then you have to absorb the last four. He signed a six-year contract with a two-year opt-out. He didn't opt-out, which meant the Red Sox were on the hook for his money. The Red Sox are going to be on the hook for a David Price contract that more than likely is going to look worse and worse as time went on, and they're still paying Pablo Sandoval after they released him. This will be the last year that they have to pay the Pandas contract. And you just signed Nate Evaldi to a long-term deal after you traded for him in the middle of the 2018 season. The money is there. The money is there. But the money that Betts wanted, apparently, per a variety of different reports, was somewhere around $400 million over the lifetime of the contract. Mike Trout got that type of money. If you consider Mookie Betts to be one of the stars in the game of baseball, that's a guy you give that type of money to. Now, people may look at it and say, okay, well, Betts is not the same type of power hitter as a Mike Trout or a Christian Yelich or Bryce Harper. And Yelich, in my opinion, when he comes to his next contract, is going to get upwards of $300 million as well. But it's basically teams are starting to call the players bluff in certain scenarios, saying, we don't think you're worth what you think you're worth. But that still doesn't excuse a team that has the resources to pay that guy not to pay that guy. And especially somebody like Betts, who is one of the rare players in this modern age who became a superstar with a team that developed him on a team that organizationally is known to buy players. So where do you go from here if you're Boston? How do you have any accountability with what you just did? Well, the answer is that you can't. And I think one of the things that, and as weird as this might sound, might be a saving grace for the Boston Red Sox, is that they could have the hammer come down on them for Major League Baseball for their role in the sign-stealing scandal. We have no idea what role Betts played in any of it. We have no role what David Price played in any of it. We obviously know what Alex Cora did in Houston and subsequently what he had done somewhat in Boston. In any event, Mookie Betts being gone 
may be the cover that the Red Sox needed, or rather, let's reverse that. The Red Sox coming under this fire may be the exact cover that they needed in order to trade Mookie Betts. Now, why is this the case? Why does this have to be the case? The, the answer is that it doesn't. There's no reason why they had to trade Mookie Betts, other than the fact that they didn't want to pay him. And what this does is it sets a bad precedent. And that's why I want to transition next to Chris Bryant. Bryant has been mentioned in these trade conversations because the Cubs don't necessarily want to open up the pocketbook to pay him. Now, Bryant is going to be one of those guys that also gets a $300-plus million contract. There were reports out there that said he rejected a $200-plus million contract. I think that there are some conflicting reports in regards to what the actual figure was. But where Bryant is different is that it looks like the Cubs are deliberately trying to pay him less, and here's why. When Chris Bryant was first called up, he was held back in the minors until a certain day when his service time would be cut by a full year. And what that has to do with this situation now is that you can only become an unrestricted free agent after X amount of years, and that's why Chris Bryant filed a grievance with Major League Baseball and against the Cubs about when his service time actually started. Bryant lost that grievance, but if he had won that grievance, that would have meant that he become an unrestricted free agent after this season. Because he lost the grievance, he becomes an unrestricted free agent after the 2021 season. So the Cubs effectively get to keep him on an arbitration-based salary for two more years, and his value skyrockets if you end up trading him now as opposed to a year from now when teams are going to get less out of him at his current price. Somebody is going to pay him. But again, I made the point briefly yesterday. The Cubs, they also print money. Tom Ricketts is the CEO of TD Ameritrade. The franchise has more than quadrupled since he's purchased the team. They're starting their own TV network, which is a whole ordeal entirely in terms of generating a new stream of revenue for the team. They're going to be charging cable providers $5.99 a month per customer in order to get the marquee network, which is going to be their new cable network. There's no reason why the Cubs can't sign Chris Bryant. The Cubs have just decided they don't want to go over the luxury tax. It's Ricketts being cheap because they spent so much money on guys like Craig Kimbrell and Jason Hayward and the contract they gave to Cole Hamels and the last few years of the contract of John Lester and the upcoming years of the contract of Hugh Darvish. They have doled out a lot of money already, and now they don't want to pay one of their cornerstones of the franchise, a guy that's going to keep you competitive for the years to come, and there's no reason why they can't. They have the money to do it. They just don't want to spend the money because they feel like they have nicely settled into whatever revenue stream that they have right now. And it doesn't help matters that guys like Anthony Rizzo are coming out during Cubs convention and being unhappy that they don't have new contract extensions. The Cubs have a lot of young guys that you are going to have to pay. So you have to make the decision, where are we going to take our franchise? Because if we don't pay Chris Bryant, if we don't pay Javier Baez, if we don't pay Anthony Rizzo for a little bit longer, now he's on the older side of things, your window to win now is closed because you can't get rid of contracts like a Jason Hayward, or at least at this point, even though it's shorter term, like a Craig Kimbrell, because nobody's going to want to eat that money. That's bad money. That's resources that you divert to one player that you can't use in other places. But there's no excuse for the Cubs 
because they print money and they just have to eat it if they want to stay competitive, which, in my opinion, is what they have to do. Now, the final guy that I want to talk about before we say goodbye here on MLB Morning Coffee is Francisco Lindor. Now, Lindor is going to be a free agent after the 2021 season, and the Indians have basically been giving off the signals that they're not going to sign him to a long-term extension because they can't afford him. Now, the Indian situation is a little bit different. Lindor came out yesterday and said, I love playing in Cleveland. I want to stay here. I love the fans. This is my home. I'm paraphrasing there, but effectively Lindor came out yesterday and said that he wants to be a Cleveland Indian. But the price of him, like it does for so many budding superstars that get to their first big payday, is going to go up. So for a team like Cleveland that hasn't historically spent absorbent amounts of money on players, what do you do here? You look bad, especially with a fan base like Cleveland, that is first to vitriol every time an organization makes a bad move. Just look at Cleveland Browns' Twitter during the NFL season. I don't know what the Indians do from here, but I don't think it's acceptable to trade Francisco Lindor. In fact, what the Indians have done is they've taken a competitive team and they've torn it apart. And that, in my opinion, is not the right way to do business. They already traded Corey Kluber. And now they may be making a colossal mistake if they trade Francisco Lindor. That's going to do it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. We'll be back at you tomorrow a.m. If you have not left a rating yet, please do so. If you haven't written a review, please do so. Hit that subscribe button, unsubscribe and resubscribe, cook those books, and help take advantage of the metrics of podcast subscriptions. This is Greg Mariah saying so long, and we'll see you in the a.m.